The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general in nature. You should always consider your situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Uh, I figure when I get another airplane uh-huh. and start flying back through St. Louis's airspace again, that uh, somebody will go, that's that SOB that used to fly that Comanche through here all the time, and I have to change the tail number. They got grease penciled in over the screen. I know. I know. I was going to say, you should just you know make it convenient for them and, and try to buy the in number from the, the guy you sold the airplane to. <laughs> well, I probably could because he, he took it to Canada. So, yeah. uh, oh, so I... Uh, yeah, he doesn't um, even have the number anymore, right? Um, I don't. I, I imagine he changed it. How does it work? Do, do end numbers get reassigned when they uh, get? If if you're going to register in Canada, yeah, you're going to have to get a, a Charlie number or Charlie right. register. Yeah. Right. So he's given up the end number that was on it, which means I'll, it sort of I'll went have back to look the, at the database sometime and see how it shows up. Type it into just, type it I'll into just, Google, and Google's good. If you type it oh, in as N number, well, it, used, it used to be that way. Yeah. Um, I, w- I was just remarking to someone today um, that it's changed a bit. Um, <clears throat> now here's here's the uh, here's the new owner. That's that's the first link that comes up. Um, there's a an August 1968 aviation accident on the NTSB website. August 68. That was a gear up. Uh huh. A gear up. Yeah, that was the first year up. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, did I? <clears throat> you did. Um, well, while you guys are while you guys are googling things, I'm going to say, "Welcome, folks, to episode number 65 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast." We're uh, recording this podcast and uh, and just babbling about N numbers and and in Charlotte, North Carolina, on uh, Thursday evening, January 24th, 2008. Uh, and today we're celebrating one year of weekly podcasts. Yes, it was it was exactly one year ago today. That Coinc- fateful day in January of 07. That's oh right. my God. Coincidentally, it was exactly one year ago today. It was January 24th, 2007, that we recorded UCAP number 13, which we called A Pie Full of Dogs and Cats. So as you can see, the names haven't gotten any better. And... Uh, <laughs> And that was the first. That was the first of the uh, weekly podcasts. And since then, we've done at least uh, one a week. Uh, uh, and I'm very proud of that. I, and I, Sometimes uh, more. Yeah. So, uh, so I've been waiting for this this milestone. So, what are you ready? You think? What do you think? You ready to go to like twice weekly now? Uh, uh, Jeb, you you hold him. I'll slap him. I was going to say he, he managed to get me speechless. Well, for the record, those people out there who are threatening my life, uh, we are... Only your health. Only your health. In the virtual hangar today is uh, Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. He's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Doing good. Doing yeah. good. Yeah, they're expecting it to uh, get above freezing here tomorrow for the first time in days. And... Uh, it's been a treat, been colder than a well digger's shovel. It's frozen up most of the rivers in our neighborhood, and be, and the, the rivers down for a, a bridge repair 
near our house. And the combination of the two has drawn somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 to 12 uh, mature and, and juvenile bald eagles oh. to within about three blocks of our house. Well, that's very cool. Oh, it's very cool. But I was going to ask how they make the river go down. Rivers are kind of forces of nature, aren't they? I mean, I knew when I thought about bringing this up that you would ask that question. And uh, you can only make a river go down if you first dam it so it goes up. And that's what they did here. They dammed it years ago to provide a, a more stable pool for flood control yeah. and to make the, the little Arkansas, as they call our, our immediate neighborhood river, more suitable for things like uh, uh, kayak and canoe rowing and shell racing and stuff like that. So, uh, uh, so when they so need the, to work on something, why they open up the, the, the spillway and... The water level goes down. Uh-huh. So the so the place where they lower the river is it, it it wouldn't necessarily it's not like a, a moving river so much as it's a sort of a reservoir kind of a lake kind of. No, thing. it's a moving river. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It runs for several hundred miles and then and flows into the big Arkansas River, uh, just about a mile south of our house, uh, right in downtown Wichita. And the, the big Arkansas starts way the hell up in the mountains in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't they pronounce it Ar- Arkansas? Uh, they've got a they've got an issue with Arkansas. Uh, so it, okay. it, you know, in fifty in in, in forty nine of the fifty states, it would be the Arkansas River. In Kansas, it's the Arkansas River because <laughs> we are in Kansas. And also with us here in the virtual hangar this evening is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz, and he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm fine, Jack. I'm just trying to get my arms around this this whole Kansas, Arkansas thing. I know, I know. Uh, <clears throat> I see I, you just sent me a link for something. What is this? Oh, this is. Uh, oh, this is, is this uh, Dave's old uh, tail this number. Dave's old air, Dave's old airplane. Yeah, and uh, the in number results come up canceled, not assigned. Oh, okay. It has but, been exported. But so this takes me back yeah. to my original question: Do they re, do they <clears throat> sort of anonymously, you know, randomly reuse tail numbers or? Or do they kind of get put on hold for ten years? Or how this one, you know, I think this one you'd have to go in and request. And since yeah. it is not signed, you should be able to get your hands on it. And it'll be it'll be purged from the system, uh, according to this, and uh, on January fifth of next year. So uh, two years after it was uh, exported. I see. But what is now? Wait a minute. What does purged from the system mean? Have no idea. I see. Okay. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. So uh, let's see now. So this is totally. I mean, like people people rag on us because we talk about weather and we talk about beer and we talk about all kinds of non-aviation things. This is really <laughs> non-aviation, but it's related to the podcast, so I'm going to bring this up anyways, all right? So f- for for the better part of the year and a half we've been doing the podcast, we've had this little disclaimer thing at the beginning of the podcast. And one of the phrases that I, when I when we wrote this way back when was the phrase the views of the various organizations they work with, all right? Now, we're starting to get some pushback in the forums from people who are telling me, and I know this, all right, but they're telling me that proper grammar is that that sentence should be the views of the various organizations with which they work, all right? Now, I, 
first of all, I wouldn't word it that way anyways because it's just awkward. It just seems weird, and, and I'm totally comfortable with the first way, the way we always had it. But, but so you know, especially Jeb. You're the editor here, Jeb. What's the word here? What's the deal? Am I, well, am I allowed to, to put a preposition at the end of the sentence? This is like high school grammar you know, it is, 101. It is. First of all, I, I'm not uh, a grammarian by any stretch of the imagination. I, I just, you know, work my way through it. I know what sounds good, and, and it, oh, I... I know what sounds good to me. Let's put it that way. Um, the organizations for which they work. Yes. Technically, uh, um, the forum participants are correct, uh, grammatically correct. Spoken English, uh, the rules are a lot softer. And uh, you're, you're certainly... As long as it's spoken outside of grammar class. Right. <laughs> as, as, as long as Sister Mary Elephant is not uh, wrapping, you know, the ruler over your knuckles, uh, um, I think you'll be fine. But um, um, Well, God bless our forum people, but I think one of them is Mary, Sister Mary, because, <laughs> <laughs> because a couple of them have really gotten on me here. They're saying, oh, no, you got to do it this way. It should be with And I'm going, no, that's just weird. I mean, that's just like the way, you know, that's like... That's how the British, the British edition of, of uncontrolled airspace would word it. You know, this is the kind Very of thing good, up with Very which good, I will not put. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, uh, so, anyways, the upshot of this is when I do the disclaimer and when I hand out the script, it's going to be you know, so your organizations they work with. All right, your fourth grade uh, um, grammar teacher is going to hunt you down. Yeah, could just say just you could just change it to uh, uh, the organizations. For which they serve. Yeah. But, okay. And then they'll ask me to deliver food, and I'll tell them they're SOL. So, anyways, that's enough of the prop- preposition thing. Uh, did you guys listen to the podcast from last week? I, I know you. I know you were there, so you don't need to listen to it. But uh, yeah, I, I I I remember it vaguely. We did the disclaimer in Morse code last week. <laughs> <laughs> Now you got to go listen to it. See, I've, uh, I've, I've tri- listeners at home. I've tricked them into listening to uh, at least one of our podcasts. So. There are sick puppies, and uh, we are among friends. That's right. Yeah, they are sending in some cool stuff. We got one. I think the most recent one we got was uh, was a computer generated voice, uh, and uh, I think somebody else did a, a British accent, as a matter of fact. And uh, so they're fun. I'm I'm enjoying those. But uh, and we're uh, and, I, I like the computer generated voice idea. That, that'll remind me of an AWOS. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Current yeah. conditions are too cold, too cold to fly. So what's going on in the news here, Dave? You posted this thing about uh, barnstorming's back. Yeah, uh, got this little flash uh, uh, in a press release uh, earlier this week, and uh, something called the American Barnstormers Tour. Uh, We'll have a link on the site uh, for this year, starting uh, June 15 in Iowa City, Iowa. That's almost like redundant, like New York, New York. Uh, nothing against Iowa City, but uh, works its way around the Midwest. Uh, uh, Iowa City, Ames, Iowa, Council Bluffs, then it moves to Hastings, Nebraska, then to Great Bend, Kansas. Then down here to uh, my home turf, Wichita, at uh, at Chabar Airport. Moves on to Emporia, Kansas. Uh, that's a morning-only refueling stop because uh, they're headed back to Lease, toward Lease Summit, Missouri. And then they'll head uh, east to Jefferson City, Missouri. 
uh, information will be on the uh, you know the link will be on the website. But uh, they're going to have a bunch of uh, old biplanes on tour and uh, offering. Uh, rides and a chance to crawl around some antique uh, airframes from the uh, from the golden ages, uh, mostly 1920s. Sounds very cool. Uh, yeah, sounds... it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. This this is looking at the website. This is a um, uh, looks like the latter half of June. Uh, well, when they'll be doing this, and again, you know, Iowa, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri. Uh, is the uh, the general locale? Um, there they say there are fifteen to twenty um, biplanes. They're looking at uh, travel, old travel airs, uh, new standards, uh, all kinds of of neat stuff here. Um, I don't see a stagger wing, but that's not uh, that doesn't mean there isn't one. Just as an example, here's a a traveler four thousand, a nineteen twenty nine fleet. Uh, a lot of travel airs, yeah, big time. The new, uh, some, newest, some newest, bird, the newest bird on the list is a 1935 Fairchild 22, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and uh, the uh, with the uh, Ranger engine, it looks like it, uh, it the inline that, inverted yeah. six. That's an inline engine for sure. Yeah, this this will be kind of cool. It certainly gives some great opportunities for some neat photos. Um, I hope they'll also consider, uh, you know, kind of maybe a mass arrival at Oshkosh or something. That would be really cool. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Huh? They're doing it. What? They're, they're well. This, Lat- latter this, half of June. Yeah, this is the other. We should try and. Uh, I'll definitely maybe, maybe be out the, visit them when they're when they're here. Yeah. Maybe yeah. this is the time of the year when we should try and do our uh, Ponca City uh, visit and. Yeah. There's another thing going on in the forums. They want us to do a, an uncontrolled airspace fly-in. They want us to actually have a seriously. Yeah, they want us to have a UCAP fly-in. So uh, I've got I've got them all trying to compare notes about where it should be held, and uh, you know, like we're trying to compare notes about where everybody's located to try and find a critical mass of you know where listeners or interested listeners are located. Right. Well, but I, I, but the obvious the obvious suggestion that a couple of people came up with is that we should hold it at Ponca City. Yeah. And uh, you know, so combine that with the fact that we've been fantasizing about going there to record an episode and uh, you know I don't know looking at looking at our calendar here and it just happens that the first Saturday of July is the 5th so I'll be right huh. after this thing ends huh that's going to be a three day weekend for both that's gonna people be, that's, that's going to be a steaming hot weekend too that's going to be a steaming hot weekend and there will be a kilo alpha crowd at uh, at uh, uh, Ponca City even though it's a hol- sort of the holiday weekend, quote unquote. Well, be- partly because it's a holiday weekend, okay. a lot of people will be out moving around. They'll, have, you know, they'll have had Fridays to get the airplanes tuned up and uh, spend the Fourth of July out shooting off fireworks, and still have a two-day weekend left. Yeah. So, well, uh, no promises, anybody. But you know, we got the beginnings of a plan here. We can start to let this simmer a little bit and see what happens. So, uh, I think it would be cool. But if we were all together, together, we wouldn't even need Skype to do a live podcast from the breakfast. Yeah, well, I mean, that's sort of a given, if you ask me, is the three of us should all get there. But uh, that's that's sort of the hard part. I also sat down and looked at a map. I was curious where was, so if all three of us were to travel exactly the same distance, where would we end up? You know, I mean, and and, 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 and end up in the same. Tri-Cities, Tennessee. No, uh... 
No, I actually, I'm your just old guessing. Stomp, yeah. No, no, it turned out to be your old stomping grounds. It's uh, just just uh, east of Cincinnati, sort of in that uh, Ohio River Valley. Uh, just east of Cincinnati, really? Yeah, just, just east of Cincinnati. I mean, the actual point, as near as I can calculate it, is sort of in the middle of nowhere. Um, so the nearest big city would be Cincinnati. And, uh, oh, you know, not, well, there's a... And, uh, and it's right in there is where that, where that cool grass strip that you've told us about a couple of different times. What, Lee Bottom? Um, it must yeah, be Lee, that, well, must, Lee, uh, Lee's bottom, right. I'm looking at the from, calendar from Lee Bottom yeah. Flying Field. Now, that's only about uh, 50 miles west or east of Louisville. That's west of Cincinnati. But that would be damn close. Yeah, but anyways, it's in that part of the country. I don't know. I think it's a cool idea, but logistic, logistics would be a challenge. Not that it's impossible, but Larry, we'll, we'll come back to that later. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that some more offline. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Speaking of barnstorming, here's what I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, have you, and I'm sure you, you must have, but have you ever gotten in your airplane and just spent a few days flying just flying just going and having fun there was no particular destination no particular you know mission you weren't on business or whatnot have you sort of yeah what, uh, what was that like we started out with a an outbound destination with two interim stops to get before we got there uh the interim stops were my hometown and annie's hometown then we went to Kitty Hawk mm-hmm. and spent two days uh, parked at uh, First Flight Airport mm-hmm. off-season, uh, took cabs everywhere uh, because uh, it, it just seemed like the thing to do, it, easier than renting a car. Uh, off-season, boy, some of the restaurants that are still open along the Outer Banks are fabulous, and there's never yeah. a crowd, and we had a wonderful time. And then we just kind of worked our way west and decided uh, – kind of spontaneously that we would drop into uh, Ash County, North Carolina. Uh, we rented a car there and drove around uh, Grandfather Mountain and the Blue Ridge Parkway a little bit. Uh, I used to fly hang gliders at Grandfather. And uh, uh, then we looked on the map uh, when we were ready to leave there and decided the next neat stop would be uh, uh, Lake Barkley State Park in western Kentucky where they have a 4,200-foot strip and a really nice lodge that's open year-round. And uh, then it all kind of fell apart coming out of Ash County because of 65-knot headwinds in a Cherokee. Uh, we made a new decision at the fuel stop, which uh, the fuel stop should have been Lake Barkley. Uh, the fuel stop turned out to be the halfway point, uh, Somerset, Kentucky. Uh, after three and a half hours of bouncing along, making about 45 to 50 knots ground speed, we decided to divert north back to my hometown, uh, spend the night at my folks, uh, have a nice uh, restaurant dinner there. We hit Lake Barkley on another trip where we were just kind of, we'd gone someplace and we had a few days to get home. And it's the homeward bound ones where we usually just say, where would we like to go next? Mm-hmm. Right. It's great uh, fun, though. Just, you know, say, wow, we got five days or three days or whatever. Mm-hmm. And where haven't we been that we'd like to go to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jeff? Well, I, I was going to say, um, I haven't really done that per se. I mean, you know, of course, my standard response would be whenever I take off, I'm never really sure where I'm going to land. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know. That's why he been, keeps the CAP on speed dial. That's that's right. 911, here I go. Um, there's been several trips that I've made uh, in the last few years, though, where I set out on, you know, day one or day day 
of whatever day three days four day trip or something and i said well all right i need to be in such and such a location you know two or three days from now and um let's kind of meander in that direction see how far i get you know sometimes i'll stop in in wichita you know if, if i'm going to the west coast for example i'll stop in in wichita one night and and uh, ruin dave's dave's week um <laughs> um i've stopped in uh, uh various other locations and checked in on old friends that i haven't seen in a while and business associates whomever uh, i remember you know the the the, uh, the the trip dave and i made uh um, right after the uh, uh, New Year uh, 2000, uh, flying from Wichita to uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Uh, so that was kind of a loose formation flight, uh, uh, his airplane and my airplane, and uh, um, uh, stopped in uh, Albuquerque's Double Eagle Field for gas and meandered our way west. There was a another episode uh, um, I had where I was uh, helping a friend ferry her um, 172 from Virginia out to out to Las Vegas and that turned into uh, you know a three or four day uh, um, kind of thing where we take off and yeah you know we're really not sure where we're gonna land mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna we're gonna head in this direction and we've got all the charts and, and all the information we need in the current database and uh, we're gonna see you know how how far we get before we get tired of this yeah and and that's that's an interesting way to do things yeah. uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it yeah as always, my flying is on a much smaller scale than than you guys. But uh, but I, I want to make the case that you don't necessarily need to take four or five days to do this kind of thing. Absolutely, you don't. I, no, absolutely, my, you're right. My my normal flying is is to you know hundred dollar hamburger flying, where I'll head out for you know I'll have one destination, maybe two in mind, and you know go for a walk or get something to eat. But but every now and then, what I like to do is, um, you know whatever whatever area I'm going to go flying around and exploring and and sightseeing and whatever, I I go out of my way to basically land at every airport I can find along the way. So instead of having, you know, like basically one destination in my logbook when I'm done, I'll have 10 different airports that I've touched um, on this trip. And and those have been fascinating. I've, I, you know, first of all, it's a great, fl- it's a great, I mean, not that this is all about training and, and proficiency, but, you know, getting that many different airports all in a short period of time is a great training ex- uh, exercise right there. But uh, it's well, also a lot of fun to just, you know, absolutely. it's more than just boring holes in the sky. You know, you're well, like... Years ago in another life when uh, I was qualified to fly only stuff that weighed 254 pounds and less. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had access to a, uh, a couple of ultralights over the years, and I would uh, I'd show up, fuel them up, have some extra two-cycle mix for the, uh, for the engine, whatever that was, uh, thermos full of coffee, thermos full of, uh, of uh, usually lemonade, uh, some peanut butter and honey sandwiches and a backpack strapped to the seat and a piece of road map uh, atlas page in a plastic sleeve to, to tape to my leg. Mm-hmm. And I'd go out and uh, I'd do an hour and a half upwind and see where that took me. And very often there'd be a country store, a uh, little grass strip, someplace where I could drop in, uh, you know, have one of those sandwiches, gas up. And then I'd go about an hour and a half crosswind and find what I could find and then an hour and a half downwind and then crosswind back to where I started try to fly uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know six hours in a square in the course of a 10 or 11 hour 
daylight day uh-huh. and just see where uh, you know the the winds took me yeah. uh, it was a lot of fun met a yeah. lot of nice people uh, yeah. you know remember landing behind a couple of country stores in pennsylvania and west virginia uh nice open fields real really nice and smooth uh, uh touch down behind them shut down take the gas t- can over to the general store top it off go <laughs> in and have a moon pie and a soda <laughs> yeah. you know and haul back into the airplane and and you know by the time i took off again there'd usually be a crowd uh, yeah once in a while, law enforcement would show up right after I landed because somebody would call 911 and reported they'd just seen an airplane crash. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That was always really interesting. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I was talking with a guy today um, who was telling me about his experience learning and uh, doing float plane, tra- uh, float plane training. Um, yeah, down in Florida. Um, what did he call it? Jack Jack, Jack Brown Seaplane Base. That's the one. Base, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. And, Winter Haven. And one of the things he was that, that he was telling me that is notable is that when they go out to do training flights, they don't just kind of like go around the pattern, so to speak, at one particular body of water. They'll actually kind of go from from lake to lake to lake and land on lots of different places, you know. And in uh, and, and you know, so you get training in in uh, lots of different uh, you know environments and different shaped lakes. I guess must be a good training exercise and so forth. He was also telling me that that unlike like, at least from my experience, unlike the way uh, instructors teach emergency you know, engine failure, emergency landings, um, in, in the seaplanes, they'll do emergency landing training all the way down to the surface. Uh, no, none of this, you know, adding power on short final stuff. You right, know, right. You, know. you turn, you, when I've done this in light experimentals uh, for, for some magazine work, uh, we've actually had the uh, guy checking me out in the airplane just shut it down. Yep. You know, not not throttle it back to idle. Yeah. Just pull yeah. it back to idle, flip the switch, turn the key, whatever it takes, kill the engine. Uh, and, you know, then you do what you got to do, which usually in, in those little airplanes cases means that you got to point the nose down really hard because uh, they're pusher engines and the, the thrust helps keep the nose down when you got power on. So the nose comes up when the power goes away. And oh, okay. You point the nose down really hard and uh, watch the water come up and then ease it back and fly it to the water surface. Mm-hmm. It's lovely fun. I bet. I bet. Barnstorming, man. Well, once the winter's over. Oh, yeah. Jeb, oh, you don't yeah. care. But I'm up here, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for the weather to get good. I'm definitely going to do a lot of flying this spring, hey, I think. So. When do you uh, think that's going to be? Oh man! Any day now. Two thousand and nine. We, we just passed the hump. So uh, the just the other day was the hump of the hump day of the winter. It's, really? Yeah, it's the uh, statistical. How, how, how's, oh, the statistical hump day, not the calendar hump day. No, no, no. It's the not st- the meteorological hump day. Well, I guess in theory it's meteorological. It's the statistically coldest week of the winter in New England. Was the is the third week in January? And and being a winter phobe, I I just wait anxiously for this this week to pass. Oh, so winter phobe. What's the curve? look like though uh, the weeks prior to this warmer or colder on average than the weeks to come well I mean in theory it's a bell curve it's a kind of ramps up and then ramps down of course or in the case of winter ramps down and then ramps up yeah, yeah. And, in this, and in this day and age of, of global warming who the heck knows what's going on that's true that's true so Jeb well, West to, yeah I, I was just going to say, there used to be a phrase that I was afraid to use until I, somebody explained to me its origin. It's cold, it, cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. It's pretty lewd and crude until I found out that a brass monkey 
was a brass plate with dimples in it on sailing ships, warships, where they stacked the shot. And because ah. the steel shot and the brass had different expansion rates in the cold, if it got really cold, the brass would expand to the point where the balls couldn't sit in the dimples anymore, and they'd go rolling off. So if it was cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey, uh, you didn't want to be down slope from the balls. <laughs> That's just such a Dave Higdon story. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah, Dave, I'm buying that. That's what that means. Check it out. Check That's it exactly out. What that means. I, I don't doubt it. There's a lot of little phrases like that that uh, uh, we, we take for granted. Uh, you know the whole nine yards and, there you go there's another one um things like that that uh, uh whole nine had, yards comes from the the length of a uh standard issue uh, uh ammunition case of 50 caliber machine gun uh, uh, ammo 27 feet 27 feet yeah. so if you gave the enemy the whole nine yards that means you came back with no ammo yeah. Oh man! It means English you were a recon airplane the, on the return. English grammar and the uh, the origin of colloquial sayings. What an educational podcast this is! <laughs> we'll have to get William Sapphire on as a guest sometime. Oh, but of course, yes. Right tonight on uncontrolled grammar. <laughs> hey, don't joke. One of the most popular podcasts out there is a podcast on grammar. That's right. Yeah. yeah I, it's, bet, I bet it's more controlled than this one. Yeah, well, I guess so, right? Yeah. yeah. So, Jeb, last week you teased yeah. us. At the very end of the podcast, you teased us. To, you some, some, made some reference to your experience with Tampa Approach. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Kind of a war story thing. I uh, There he uh, was. It, th- there I was, and, and, and I hit the ground <laughs> and died. No. Um, I was coming in from the north a couple of weeks ago. It was we've had some really weird weather down here. There's it seems like the last uh, two or three weeks there's just been this, a lot of moisture pumping in and uh, into the state, uh, which is good. They need the rain and whatnot, but it's getting a little tr- tiresome. Uh, but anyway, my my route uh, back and forth to Georgia here over the last few weeks, um, there's always you know a system to fly through. And uh, the, at first, it was well north of here, and, and then it started moving south and moved about 100 miles a day and, and this kind of thing. Well, when I went north uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had to go way out to the west to go around all this stuff. And then a couple of days later, it had moved south, you know, the, the couple hundred miles, 100 miles a day. And uh, it was basically uh, kind of sort of over my, my destination. So um, I had just taken off out of my, my departure airport VFR and, and uh, staying low to, to minimize the headwinds. And I was like 3,500 feet or something like that, just trundling along. And I get closer and closer to my destination. I'm, I've got a Garmin 396 with, with XM weather on it, so I'm kind of playing with it. And I see all this, this green and yellow stuff and a little bit of red. And I say, yeah, you know. Well, what, what I was going to do was stop at this small airport in the central part of the state where I can get some really, really, really cheap gas and then punch on into my, my destination where I base the airplane, which is Venice, Florida. And uh, it was looking increasingly unappetizing to go in and get that cheap gas. So I said, well, the better part of valor here is go ahead and go on, go on home and put this plane away and, and fight this again some other day. So uh, I, you know, keyed the mic, said, hey, Tampa, you know, I got to change a plan here. And he's like, all right, what do you want to do? I said, well, I, uh, I want to go on into Venice and, and park this. And while we're at it, we ought to probably call this an, an instrument flight plan. And uh, so I can, you know, deal with some of this weather. And he says, "Yeah, okay, let's see if we can put some of your tax dollars to work. 
which I just thought was one of the funniest things I'd heard a controller say in a long time. Uh, he, he apparently he knew me, you know, kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, so we we did the the vector thing and and um, uh, got the ATIS and and uh, the, my destination airport's reporting two hundred overcast, and I'm like, well, that's not a good thing since the the only approach going into this particular airport has an MDA a minimum sin altitude of 600 feet when, oops 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 so um, he's like well he 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 was actually speechless he's mm-hmm. he, he I tell him the the the, air, the Venice airport's 200 over and he keyed the mic, and he's like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Which is speak. a condition you're familiar with, huh? Which is a condition I, 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 I'm very familiar with because I find myself in it so often. Um, so so um, I go ahead and get vectored around and, and line up for the approach, and, and I'm in basically VFR weather at, at like, you know, 2,000, 1,600 feet maneuvering for the approach, and I can see this little cloud deck over, and it's basically conforming to the contours of the airport boundary. Uh, just basically a cloud cloud layer over the airport. <laughs> you know, you look around and you want to see if, you know, William Shatner's sitting in the seat beside you or something. Um but uh, I go ahead and shoot the approach and break it. You know, really nothing to break out. I'm 600 feet, and, and you know, I can look down through the clouds, and, and I can see the runway layout. I can see the airport, um, but there's no lateral visibility. So I can't, you know, I can't do anything. So I call missed approach, and, and controller comes back. I said, well, what do you want to do now? And it's like, well, let's go to let's go to Sarasota. He says, well, I said, what's the Sarasota weather? He says, well, the weather there's good, but between you and it is isn't very good. I'm like, all right, fine. So I turned around and went south to Punta Gorda. Amy and uh, Amy uh, Laboda and I have talked about uh, Punta Gorda here on the podcast before. Right. I turned around, went down to Punta Gorda, and uh, land and taxi, and it's right at dusk, and um. um I walk in and, and check in with the FBO, and, and it turns out there's a guy uh, with a Cherokee, a uh, VFR-only pilot, uh, who's landed. He's trying to get back into Venice also. He's landed there at Punta Gorda, and he's going to wait out the weather. And he and I sit down and start talking about everything and have a good little visit. Make a long story short, because I know I'm droning on here. Um, about an hour and a half later, I, 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 the weather is such that... Um, the th- you know thunderstorms move through and there's some more weather coming in. Punta Gorda has gone from VFR to one and a quarter uh, uh, invisibility, and I called it sky obscured. It was dark and uh, the the ceiling was kind of indefinite. So uh, basically, it was mile and a half visibility and fog and and clouds on the deck and that kind of thing. But by this time, Venice is severe clear and. Looking at so the if next, you can get out, you can get in. I, if I can get out, I can get in, and it's like twenty miles. You know, it's not. We're not talking. You know, uh, uh, rocket science here. Um, so uh, waited for the next red to tell me where the gaps were in this line of storms that was just north of the field. Um, paid my paid my bill with the FBI. I, I took on some fuel just for grins, and uh, um, got an airplane, taxied out, took off into um, into Wixo, and and. Um, did the climb out? You know, I'm, I'm 400 feet. I'm on top of all this, 
and five miles north of the airport, I can see my destination. I'm leaving all these other clouds behind and, uh, you know, basically cancel the IFR and, and pop in. But the punchline in all this is the guy handling me on the leg from Punta Gorda to Venice is the same controller who was handling me. Um, you know, two hours earlier uh, uh, in a different sector, and uh, I just found the whole thing just kind of odd. He's like, "Hey, you've had a pretty, you've had a pretty long day, haven't you?" I said, "Well, you know, not too bad. You know, just you know, a divert and everything." He said, "No, no, no. I was the controller handling you earlier." I said, "Oh, okay." Fine. <laughs> so, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I have another facility, uh, uh, another FAA air traffic control facility. That has my in number in grease pencil on their radar set. <laughs> Except this one seems to like thing. you. Yeah, right. This, yeah. yeah, they can't take a joke. They don't. They don't know me well enough yet. Yeah, that's so. right. That's right. They've only <laughs> been down there for a few months. So. They'll right. learn. They'll learn. They'll uh-huh. learn. Uh-huh. They'll. Yeah. So that that was you know that's that's my Tampa approach story and and. Uh, uh, Speaking uh, of bopping around Florida, did you get a chance to go over to Seabird? Uh, I did not. Uh-huh. I had in Georgia, and I'm really, I'm really torqued about it. Um, but um, next year, I will go over there uh, if I have to drive or, or whatever. Flying over there would definitely be the hot lick. But uh, yeah. uh, I, I, I had to be in in Georgia that afternoon, and I. It's just, really. I didn't realize how truly close it is to where you are. Oh, it's it's a hop, skip, and a jump. I could I could just you know drive over there, get a motorcycle, and ride over there or something. You know. Yeah. It's right. Not a big yeah. Deal. This guy I was talking to about seaplanes, um, that he, that's why he was down in that area. Well, I guess he huh. goes to Florida a lot, but he, he was at the Sebring show. He was telling me about it, and uh, he's ready to trade his uh, Cherokee 180 for some sort of LSA. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the whole well sea- you didn't lose anything in speed. Uh, that's yeah. true. Uh, the, 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 the seaplane thing is something I wouldn't mind doing. Uh, and I've, I've, Dave, Dave and I are like, yeah, we know, we know the, the seaplane base over there, and... and uh, um, I've never physically visited, but I've heard a lot about it over the years, and it's got a good rep. And uh, that's well, that's kind of one of the little things on my list of things to do. Is, is Although uh, he was telling me something interesting about seaplanes that makes total sense, but I had never even thought of before. Um, yeah. to, to get out of airplanes for a second and talk about boating, there's a big problem with lakes all around the country these days oh, yeah. with, with what they call exotic weeds. All right, There are these, these, these non-native plants that get transported from one lake to another, like on, on boat trailers and on propellers and so forth. All right? Yeah, and the and, bilges. Yeah, in bilges, and um, and it's become a huge problem because these plants come from one lake to another, and they take hold, and they have no natural uh, uh, enemies, and so they grow out of control. It's a really, really big problem with a lot of lakes, and um, and so most lakes, most states have very, very strict rules about inspecting your boat and your trailer whenever you launch and whenever you take out um, from one lake to another. All right. And it stands to reason that there ought to be similar kinds of inspections for your seaplane, but Shh. yeah, but it's not. Well, apparently some states do, in fact, have these kinds of rules, and they. Uh-huh. And they uh, um, he was telling me that Massachusetts is very, very strict about this, and it's uh, very, very unfriendly to seaplanes yeah. for exactly this reason. I don't want to make life any more difficult on 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 aviators yeah. than it already yeah. is, but this is really a genuinely big problem. It's ruining the, our lakes uh, in oh, around seem, the country. Seems like there ought to be a, a an herbicide that we could just. You right. know, inject down into the pontoons or into the uh, into the bilge of a boat hull and, and 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 be able to tell them, show them a piece of paper, say, "Well, we got this 
herbicide in here that anything that's alive when it comes in is dead when it leaves. Yeah. 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 Well, you've got a you got a fish uh, um, problem there too, and in other wildlife, you you kind of have to be careful what you're sticking well, in your pond. Around in. around here, it's uh, a uh, a mollusk. Uh-huh. That's causing a big problem. Well, not just here, but all over the uh, central U.S. Something called the zebra mussel. Yeah, the zebra. Yeah, that's yeah. in the Great Lakes. Also, I've, I've read. Uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're down uh, here in two of our big man-made lakes. They thought they'd pretty much killed them off out of one lake, but they're having a terrible time with them on another. And uh, uh, you know, they they're tiny. They get into the bilges, and then they they have no natural enemy they proliferate like crazy yeah uh you know it's kind of a waterborne rabbit type species uh but the thing is that they 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 grow so fast and so thick they clog up the water intakes for uh power plant cooling systems and municipal water supplies and uh uh and when they grow in in wading depth water they're really sharp like coral yeah so they cut the dickens out of the waders feet and uh uh i think there ought to be some kind of something aside herbicide muscle aside i don't know but we could <laughs> you know that we could put in the boats and put in the in, in the pontoons to, to you know just so that we know we're not transporting these bloody things and yeah, get right. us off the hook yeah right yeah. so right yeah. Let's see now. Uh, so yeah, I'm sorry. You're going to finish. No, no. This no. I was because all my all my float plant experience today has been in, in Alaska, where those problems don't really happen. Uh, I don't but, know. Does it? But uh, yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's yeah. yeah. Let's see now. So um, apparently, I'll feel landing of the week. People are people are going. <laughs> yeah, great, really. People are going to great great lengths now to get become part of the featured uh, off field landing of the week on uncontrolled airspace. <laughs> <laughs> Up for your consideration this week is yeah. a British we, Airways triple seven crew. That's right. Now we can joke about this because no one was hurt. Uh, yeah, thank goodness. The only There's reason a, we can joke about um, this. this this could have been an incredible tragedy. Um, but uh, so we've got this uh, we've got this British Airways triple uh, seven that landed short at Heathrow, and uh, boy, just barely apparently came in over the fence and touched down on on the on the on the grass, I guess, and. Uh, Oh yeah, sheared off gear trucks and yeah. uh, uh, went sliding all cattywampus down the runway. Uh, no, I haven't looked at. I haven't read any of the, any recent stories. Probably well, the most recent story was about a week ago. But what they're what they're saying is that the that the engines wouldn't spool up when they tried to add power. Right. That's exactly what they said. Now That's, today, as it happens, the NTSB put out a a, um, a a notice for lack of a better term here an update on their on their investigation now this is something that was prepared by the united kingdom's air incident Act investigation board It's basically the the british counterpart to the u.s national transportation safety board and basically it's just a statement an update on the on the investigation but the last three paragraphs in this are extremely interesting and if y'all just indulge me real quickly i'll just read them um as previously reported and this is in you know written in the british style so forgive me that also as previously reported whilst the aircraft was stabilized on an ILS approach with the autopilot engaged. The auto thrust system commanded an increase in thrust from both engines. The engines both initially responded, but after about three seconds, the thrust of the right engine reduced. Some eight seconds later, 
the thrust reduced on the left engine to a similar Ooh. level. Oh, okay. The yeah. engines did not shut down, and both engines continued to produce thrust at an engine speed above flight idle, but less than the commanded thrust. All right. Uh-huh. Recorded data indicates that an adequate fuel quantity was on board the aircraft and that the auto throttle and engine control commands were performing as expected prior to and after the reduction in thrust. <clears throat> Last graph. All possible scenarios that could explain the thrust reduction and continued lack of response of the engines to throttle level lever inputs are being examined in close cooperation with Boeing, Rolls-Royce, and British Airways. This work includes a detailed analysis and examination of the complete fuel flow path from the aircraft tanks to the engine fuel nozzles. Further information will be released as and when available. It's that last sentence that I read very slowly. Yeah. That that is a head scratcher for me. It's it's almost as if everything was working correctly. The engines were commanded to increase thrust, but for some reason the engines were not getting an adequate amount of fuel to increase that thrust. It's almost like that's almost what they're saying. Um, they're I don't certainly know. hinting. That it's 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 just smacked of software failure to me ever since yeah. I heard it. Yeah. But. Well, uh, yeah. I was going to say there's somebody there's somebody at Rolls uh, looking at the FADEC system on this uh-huh. airplane, uh, going through all the lines of code and 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 all the failure points. I mean, this this comes not long after. A seven four seven four hundred out on the Pacific Rim uh, had a total electrical system failure. Well, not a total electrical system failure. Had all four uh, engine electrical generators trip offline simultaneously. Uh, fortunately, the aircraft was at sixteen thousand feet and only fifteen minutes out, and the batteries provided the backup power needed to keep the the flight deck alive. Uh, but it, they trace that to a previously undiscovered single point of failure, a, an electrical junction underneath a, a drip pan right. for something in the galley, I believe it was, where the water was supposed to drip, collect, and, and be evaporated by a fan. Instead, the pan had developed a crack, and the water dripped down onto this junction and shorted out... The, all four generators simultaneously. Right. You know, it's like we we sometimes don't know what we don't know until we learn it from uh, the unpleasantness of a uh, of a failure. Yeah. And then you know this triple seven is is I think probably going to wind up to be one of those. Yeah. You know, the the guy slaps his head and has oh, holy crap that's never happened before. And 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 and. When they find out why, it's going to be like, well, we would have yeah, never thought of that. It is. The, the trick here, though, is, I mean, the weather was good. The airplane yeah. was relatively light. It, it had flown in from Beijing right. and only had 100-some-odd uh, uh, 
people on it. Seventy passengers, I think. Yeah, it was. The, the, the into this the statement I read from or earlier in the statement says the aircraft weighed 150 tons um, when it you know when it landed. So that's that's a fairly light triple seven, guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, was it? It was good weather day. Um, it was just a normal, nominal operation by all accounts. And we got to tip our wings to the first officer who was the pilot well, flying the aircraft. Not, not only the, 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 the pilot flying the aircraft, but the entire flight deck crew, as well as especially the cabin crew. Yeah. Because for, by all reports, once that sucker came to a stop, um, all the, all the um, um, exit slides inflated, and they got out of that airplane with, with uh, great alacrity, shall we say. Yeah. And uh, there was no wasted energy, um, no serious injuries whatsoever, and that's that says a lot. That really does. Sure does. Yeah. It sure does. In a way, they were. I mean, it would seem to me that they were. They were actually very lucky that they landed on the grass. Um, the reports are that there was fuel spilled all over the place. Yeah, that's what and, I hear. And if this thing had actually made the runway and and went skidding along the pavement, making sparks probably would have set off that fuel man it could have been ugly I, I it seems to me that landing on the grass was a lucky thing and uh yeah. but it did make the runway it sheared the gear off uh at the threshold and spent the rest of the time it took to decelerate to zero velocity skidding along the runway are you sure of that i don't I, think so dave because all the I, I, all the are all the pictures and, and diagrams and everything i've seen showed it short of the runway um it was in the in the, in the clear area, um, short of the runway, but had not yet reached the threshold. Yeah, I thought I'd, I'd seen pictures of it on the runway. Yeah, I'm check willing in, to be educated. Check in on the uh, on the UCAP forum. Uh, one of our listeners has posted some links to uh, to another aviation forum um, over in Great Britain, uh, where. April. Where someone has uh, posted a whole bunch of pictures, um, uh, uh. Um, a civilian took a bunch of pictures of the uh, of the scene after the fact. Uh, some interesting shots of the of the gear lying on the uh, on the yeah. pavement. And then there's a there's a there's a video that they posted a link to. Oh, a, really? a, a YouTube? No, no, don't get so excited. It's not that. But there's a YouTube video of them of them lifting it, jacking the thing up, and and dragging it away after the fact, which was kind of oddly interesting. And I misspoke. It didn't have 170. It had 135 passengers and 16 okay. crew. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, off-field landing of the week. Good job to the uh, to the entire crew uh, for getting this airplane on the ground safely and uh, getting everybody out safely and doing a good job. But you know what? It's not that important to be the off-field landing of the week. All right, don't. Yeah, don't I'm, don't. Uh, there's no there's no real prize here for this. There's, so. no, there's no prize. <laughs> Believe me, there's no prize. Uh, let's see now. Podcast housekeeping. Uh, I've got a couple of things here. First of all, Dave, apparently you're doing make some changes to at the end of every episode. We uh, we uh, happily uh, send people in, in the direction of DaveHigdon.com, but apparently DaveHigdon.com is currently offline, right? What's it's currently on? offline. Well, we uh, we we came to a point where we had to renew our deal with our ISP, and it was going to need some changes. And it had been a long time since we'd uh, since we'd freshened it up and made it look good, and we decided to let it to take it down for a while here so that I could put up some fresh stuff and do a little redesign work and uh, then we got some entreaties from a couple of other uh, hosting companies so we're in the process of trying to decide A, where we're going to host it and get it 
reassembled and back online and we'll let everybody know when that happens but yeah davehigdon.com is not uh not up at the moment and won't be for several weeks but it's not gone forever no not gone forever by any means good okay great um, one bit of administrative stuff, just to kind of, I wanted to, I don't know if this is an apology exactly, because I'm not really apologizing, but I wanted to let people know <laughs> that, uh, you know, in doing the podcast, uh, in my spare time, as I try to do, um, occasionally when I'm really busy, I, I, it takes me longer to do the whole process and it just does. And I'm, and I've kind of, that's the way it is. But one of the things I do from time to time, um, in order to deal with the fact that, that I've got more than I can accomplish is I sort of do some load shedding of the work. Um, basically, the most important thing in doing the podcast is getting the audio of the podcast um, uh, edited and on the internet, and then getting what's called the RSS feed, which is the the the, uh, the thing that your iTunes or your your podcatcher program uses to uh, to be notified that there's a new episode. So I make sure those two things always get updated the moment that it's ready to go. But sometimes I kind of push off. Um, completing the show notes, or if they're completed, I push off um, putting a notice on the homepage of the website. So sometimes those things get pushed off, and and I apologize because I know there are a few listeners who only go to the website to find out if it's a new episode, um, and and that that is a little confusing to those listeners. What I what I want everyone to just kind of know is that the, the, the even if you go to the website to find out if there's a new episode, the way you can always do that is to click the link in the sidebar that's, set, that's labeled RSS feed, all right? And although the RSS feed exists primarily for you to input that into your iTunes or whatever, you can actually open it in a web browser. If you click on that, that, that link, um, it'll take you to a fairly terse uh, uh, listing of all the different episodes, and you'll be able to see what the most recent one is there. So anyways, I sort of apologize. You, you, haven't, you, haven't, you haven't been updating the website? I've been updating the website. No, no soup for you. Yeah, I know, I know. No lineys in Boston for a while until I get my uh, until I get my. But anyways, so the, the most important thing is the podcast. The second most important thing is the RSS feed. The other things I kind of get most of the time. I get them done on, at the same time, but sometimes I don't. Always go to the RSS feed, even if you go to the web browser. Go I want to. I, I want to clarify something. Yeah. Back to the triple seven. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. There's threshold marks under one of the slides. I mean, really? there's paint marks. Yeah, it it made the runway. I've okay. seen several pictures of it where okay. it made the runway. Okay. Uh, because it closed the runway for quite a spell. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry about that. That's okay. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry for doubting you. I, I just I all I, the the most descriptive um, piece of art that I saw was a drawing. Uh, from one of the British newspapers that uh, uh, showed the layout, and, and, and my recollection of, the, of, of understanding that drawing, um, the aircraft came up short of the runway. But uh, I'm, I'm glad well, it, it, it definitely hit short of the runway. It hit in oh, yeah. grass, it, like it, Jack it, said, just just cleared a fence. But then, about 300, 400 feet after it hit, was the beginning of the runway, right. and uh, it. M more than traveled that distance considering yeah. its touchdown speed. Okay. Thanks for clarifying okay. that. Last bit of business here, um, and this is just once again to remind you that uh, that next week um, on uh, Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast, as well as a handful of other aviation podcasts, uh, we're all going to be doing what uh, what Dave finally named it. I don't know if this is the official name, but this is what I'm calling it now. Um, next week will be the Podmation Flightcast. Uh, it, will be, <laughs> it will be the sort of uh, online formation flight. Um, next week we'll be joining with 
three of our fellow aviation podcasts to present special episodes. During that week, uh, each of these podcasts will include special features about different aspects on the uh, subject of buying and owning your own plane. And uh, so, uh, Airspeed's Steve Tupper, Finer Points Jason Miller, Pilot Flight Podlogs Will Hawkins, and us um, are going to be doing special episodes, and uh, there may be other aviation podcasts that join in. Um, we, we can now announce that uh, we are going to have joining us here in the virtual hangar, Mike Bush. Uh, I, you guys know him better than I. Why don't you just kind of say I, a few Mike's words? Mike's a longtime friend and, and former boss, actually. When, uh, yep, from both, both of us. Well, for both of us, that's right. Uh, when we were uh, working AvWeb uh, back in the earlier days, um, Mike um, is now, um, quote, the savvy aviator, unquote. He has uh, uh, conceived and uh, marketed and been very successful at a series of uh, uh, seminars uh, he conducts around the country on savvy aircraft ownership and savvy maintenance the way to you know make sure your airplane is airworthy uh, without spending a whole lot of money on it, and uh, he's he's the the quintessential uh, um, um, guy to give this kind of a seminar because he's been an aircraft owner uh, pretty much constantly since the seventies. Uh, he's an A and P, and now he has an inspection authorization. He's a CF double um, He's he's uh, he's the guy to do it, and yeah. uh, he flies very, a really sweet Cessna three ten turbo. Exactly right. Uh, he is uh, not only uh, uh, well respected, but he's a close friend, and uh, we're very happy that he's going to be joining us. Absolutely, next week. and so we're going to combine his all ex- all of his expertise with you guys' expertise and experience, and we're going to talk uh, in particular next week about the subject of uh, buying and owning your airplane. Of course, with us. With Mike's specialty, a lot we'll be we'll be talking a lot about uh, maintenance issues and pre-purchase inspection issues and and things like that. So uh, um, it should be fun. It should be fun. And I, I hear he's a cool guy. I heard it'll be yep. it'll be it'll be fun to Mike's chat good with him. People. Mike's yeah. good people. Good. So watch for our podcast and all of the aviation podcasts uh, next week during the week of February fourth uh, for Uncontrolled Airspace. That'll be episode number sixty six. Let's see now. As usual, we're getting a lot of uh, really, really fascinating conversation uh, from listeners uh, uh, in the forums on the website, and I just wanted to kind of share a couple things with you here, a few. Um, let's see now. From uh, a, a listener who on the forum calls himself Fly 7 Hotel. He's from Northern California. He writes, uh, just a little feedback on high-altitude flying and soaring. He said, it was mentioned that glider and hang glider pilots fly above 18,000 feet uh, in Class Alpha airspace, he says, um, without an instrument clearance. This is true, but it does require coordination with ATC. He says ATC will open what's called a wave window. And he says this is airspace defined well before the flight that is opened for VFR flight in class alpha airspace. Transponders are typically not required for the use of a wave window. Very that's, cool. That's a, a clarification of some of the things we were talking about uh, in the last couple of weeks from Fly 7 Hotel. Thank you, Fly 7. Yeah. Listener Kerry from Washington State uh, writes in, he says, uh, this is in the forums, he says, I fly for a 121 carrier, so I listened with great interest when the podcast discussion turned towards the recent change in the age 60 rule. What might not have been conveyed adequately is the opposition a majority of pilots flying 121 had to changing the rule. APA, the union representing the 12,000 American Airlines 
airline pilots opposed the change. A recent poll taken by ALPA, uh, the union representing over 60,000 pilots, showed clear support of keeping the retirement age at age 60. And uh, Kerry goes on and talks about how he, in his view anyways, um, the change in the retirement age um, screws up the seniority and the advancement and the bringing of uh, pilots um, back into the line that have been furloughed. Um, he also he also makes an argument that there is a safety issue with having older pilots continue to fly. And uh, I'm not necessarily saying he's right or anybody else is wrong, um, but he, he does have a perspective and he's out there in the trenches, so to speak. And uh, he, he wrote a very, very thoughtful uh, post yeah. in the forum. And, he's absolutely and right. On, he on is correct, hand. yeah. There's a, there was not unanimity, shall we say, among all airline pilots that the age 60 rule should be raised to age 65. Um, that's, in fact, basically the reason that it took so long for, their, for uh, uh, this issue to get over center. I'm not, I'm not, when I say that, I'm not suggesting that uh, uh, it's a good thing or a bad thing for the sake of this conversation that the age 60 rule was increased to age 65. What I am saying is because of the lack of consensus uh, within the community for so long, um, those who would, um, shall we say, make the change or help implement the change at the government level didn't know what, what to do. There was no consensus. So uh, it, it got delayed for that long. Um, the, well, and if the, it wasn't uh, for the need to rationalize, as they well, put that's it, what, that's what U.S. regulations with international regs, uh, if and as we pointed out uh, before, if it wasn't for Congress acting, uh, we'd still be, you know, sitting with the old age 60 rule, which is now, you know, we got to change our habits here. It's now the age 65 rule. Uh, and over the years, I noticed as this discussion ebbed and flowed for a long, long time, that some of my friends that uh, fly for 121 carriers, some of them flew for 135 carriers uh, before they uh, kind of nodded all the scheduled ones under the 121. Uh, their opinion about this changed, several of them, their opinion about this changed right about the time they hit 56, 57. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not meaning this as a joke. No, uh, you're absolutely right. w- When they were in their 40s, all they could, it, it, the, the thing that they predominantly looked at was how it was going to screw up seniority and advancement. And uh, when they got in past 55, uh then their view of it started to change a little bit, and uh, you know, for, for for those poor souls that have uh, uh, continued to fly for carriers that have gone through and emerged from bankruptcy, and had their pension totally screwed up, uh, the extra five years has become a really critical issue for a lot of these guys, uh, because for the pension plans that were abrogated abandoned and turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp, an arm of the federal government, uh, they can't start drawing that pension from that federal program at age 60. So the old rule forced them out the door at 60 and left them with two years with with no way to draw retirement from their airline plan until they got to 62. Uh, it was kind of a, uh, a, a the dark horse issue that arose that swayed a lot of members of Congress, from what I've read. 
but yeah, uh, you know, Carrie's correct. This was not by any means a, a, an uncontested discussion, and there was a lot of airline pilots that were not behind it. Uh, but the bottom line is that it's you know a moot question now. Listener uh, Landis, that's the only, he didn't, doesn't give us a location and he doesn't give us any more than the name Landis. But listener Landis uh, in the forums writes, he says, I absolutely love the hangar cast format. He writes, on long trips, my wife even picks it out on the iPod to listen to. Now, as an aside, I have to say, no higher praise. Isn't that something? Absolutely. Does she have a sister? (laughs) That's right. Uh, Landis goes on to say, uh, my wife's not a pilot, but she enjoys the discussions that you have and everyone once in a while, we pause it and talk a bit more about the topic you just covered. I mean, oh my gosh! Uh, she then <laughs> he says he says he says that was me. That was my little gasp there. All right, you know, definitely. I hope she has two sisters. Is basically what I'm, I'm laughing at the last sentence here. Yeah, but, I know, then, the last, I know. but then he finally says he says he says uh, she calls the podcast the user fees podcast due to Jeb's harping in the early days. So, uh, in all fairness to 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 to, to Jeb, uh, I know. That, that, I think Jeb and I double-teamed that one pretty heavily. Uh, I think we all did our part, but I think it's interesting that Jeb's kind of, I don't know, getting the credit or the blame for the, some of this stuff. Didn't somebody do this accent. recently? Somebody, somebody blamed something else on Jeb. I think they, they made Jeb the, the, the Liney's guy. You know, or the, or, yeah. I'm so mistreated. That's right. Landis goes on to describe uh, into in a lot of detail. He gives us a lot of information about present and future, um, uh, you know, uh, inf- uh, versions of the various emergency radio systems. We've been talking a lot in the past about uh, about the uh, demise of satellite coverage for 121.5, and uh, and he gives us a lot of information. And then uh, listener Mad Max actually chimed in to uh, extend it a little bit more. So there's some interesting information there about all the different kinds of frequency and types and styles and you know whatnot for uh, emergency locator beacons and emergency radio systems and so forth. That's from Melissa and Landis and his wife and his unnamed wife who uh, who uh, whose sisters we want to meet. Mrs. Landis, keep keep your sister locked up. (laughs) Pilot, uh, let's see now, username, his username is PilotNGB. He writes, uh, after a break of six years, I have started to work towards my private pilot license again. Good job. Yay. All right. Way to go. I have 18 hours in total. Uh, and uh, I'm listening to many of the Hangar podcasts. He says, I was, I was flying in Ireland, but I'm currently transitioning to a school in England. He says, I'm currently back flying in the circuit, working towards my first solo. He says, you talked about cost. You are looking at $280 an hour in the UK oh my. for a C-172. He says, that, <sighs> does, that does include landing fees at some schools. So, uh, so I would hope. Hang in there, NG- NGB. Good job. Uh, uh, good luck. Um, and uh, and speaking for myself, man, I admire your pers- perseverance. Yeah, because, um, hang, hang in there, guy. And and uh, I feel for you on the dollar amounts involved. Yeah. Go track anyway. down a go track down an LSA or or an ultralight, yeah. and uh, you, you know. But uh, but anyways, good job. Thank congratulations, and keep us informed. Let us know how it's yeah, going. Yeah, let us know how that goes. Yeah. And uh, I think this is the last of them. Yeah, Brendan from Farmingdale, New York, writes in. And uh, uh, Brendan, uh, in, it first of all, tells us that just this past week, he passed his private pilot check ride. Woo-hoo! Right, Brendan, yeah. Ta-da! He then Way writes, oh, Brendan. 
He writes to tell us, uh, he says, after getting my ticket on Saturday, my dad and I flew from Farmingdale, New York, which is uh, Foxtrot Romeo Golf, to Block Island, Rhode Island, which is Bravo India Delta, uh, on Monday, and had lunch at Bethany's Airport Diner. And he gives us the phone number down there. And he says, parking fees are waived if you're eating there. Oh, very cool. Yeah, he says, going to Block Island in the middle of the winter may seem strange, but the 900-year-round residents keep Bethany's and a few other places open, and you won't have to fight for parking, as I imagine you will in the coming summer season. He says, Block Island is a very cool place any time of year, and we had a fantastic flight. That sounds right. Congratulations, Brent. Brendan. Yeah. Welcome to the welcome to the club. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely dude. Absolutely. Way to go. And nope. and 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 really smart, man. You get your ticket and go out and exercise it. Yep, exactly. Uh, right. And and out of state, I got friends down in Florida that have never been out of Florida, and I just kind of want to you know take a, a fiberglass wing tip and and put it on their head like a dunce cap and say, why are you you know why? <laughs> yeah. 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 So thanks to all those listeners. As usual, once again, there's, there's a lot. Of, I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg of all this interesting conversation that's going on in the forums. And uh, you should check it out and, uh, and see what's going on over there and add your voice to it as well. Please. Let's, and thank you. Yeah, let's see now. So... Uh, we, uh, it's been quiet on the uh, on the user fees uh, FA reauthorization front, but uh, there was this unfortunately uh, there's been this story recently. I guess this took place. I don't have the story up on my screen, but it, from my memory, what it th this was at one of the AOPA uh, town meeting events that they do. I guess it was down in Florida, and uh, the one of the senators from Florida was there to speak, and uh, he said that he believes that user fees are dead. You guys know more more about this story than that. I know the I know the senator. Yeah, uh, I don't know him personally. Let me let me hasten to add, uh, but uh, he let's just say he's been wrong before. Oh, okay. Well, you know, and I guess maybe that's one of the reasons I wanted to make sure we talked about this for a few seconds because it, it would be a mistake for us to kind of sit back exactly and think right. that this is a done deal and we don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, it's, uh, it's the, the senator was Bill Nelson from Florida, who's right. you know been been around for quite a while. And uh, uh, he, he was a, a shuttle uh, astronaut at one that's point right. back in, uh, uh, back and, in the it, but, uh, he's a, he's a, you know he's an aviation type person and uh, his uh, his his position on this had never really been in question and I, I, I much appreciate his perspective because I, you know I think it's colored to a certain extent by knowing what his uh, his colleague senators think in the majority but uh, the way the Senate itself works its p peculiar rules make it really easy for one senator or a major a minority of senators to bottle something up to the point where it doesn't move so you know uh, I want him to be dead most of us want them to be dead, the user fee issues. But, you know, it, and, and Senator Nelson, we appreciate you thinking so and, and know that you'll use your influence and, 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 and act accordingly. But until the guy at 1600 Independence puts his signature on a bill that both chambers agree to, this puppy is just like a zombie. Mm -hmm. It can rise from the grave, bite you on the butt, and take your wallet with you in the interim so well until this is a done deal it's it's not a done deal yeah yeah and, and the the news article from which we're we're quoting here is aopa president phil boyer uh dot 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 said he appreciates nelson's optimism but cautioned a lot of work still remains quote 
While it's encouraging to hear Senator Nelson's assessment, in politics it isn't over until the final vote, said Boyer. The, the airlines haven't given up on user fees and more taxes on general aviation, and you can bet their lobbyists will be buttonholing senators as soon as they're back in Washington. Which um, was just two days ago. Right, right. And this, this story was dated earlier in the month, and, and Washington, uh, uh, Congress, I should say, just returned to Washington and got back to work earlier this week. So the, the window of opportunity is, is open. Um, we haven't seen the fat lady start warming up yet. So. Yeah. so now is a good time for us to send another wave of uh, respectful feedback to our representatives? There, there is never a bad time to contact your member of the, your house member from right. your local district, both your senators, and tell them that you support, you want them to support H.R. 2881. That's the House bill that uh, admittedly raises the, uh, the the fuel taxes that we pay, but uh, is user fee free. Yeah. And that we oppose the uh, $25 filing fee, per leg filing fee uh, in Senate S-1300. Uh, because that's just the nose of the camel in the tent, and once that nose is in, baby, you can you, you can bet that there'll be guys pushing to get the whole hump in there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Okay, I don't know why that makes me think think of of of, of uh, brass monkey balls, but anyways, um, <laughs> you just keep your. Humping brass monkey balls to itself. I, okay? I know. It's all these animal references. It's all these animal references. Uh, let's see now. Um, uh, as usual, we will put in the show notes or some in some to some uh, very very visible place on the website uh, and maybe even in the forum uh, information on some websites that you can go to to find out who your elected representatives are and uh, some easy ways to send your message to them. And if all else fails, it's in your phone book. Yeah. So let's see now. We've got. Uh, I, I don't. As a rule, I don't like to call too much attention to these kinds of stories. I don't know that, but but I'm wondering. So two airplanes um, had a close call at Palm Beach uh, a few days back. A uh, a big Cessna and a little Cessna. Um, a Cessna Citation business jet and a Cessna 152. Uh, Boy, that's a match made in hell. Yeah. yeah. And um, according to the story, it was the, the biz jet that was uh, apparently at fault. Yeah, not paying real good attention and taxied so onto the runway. And kudos to the guy in one fi- guy or gal in the 152 for being in the right. Uh, and, you know, brickbats to the citation drivers. But, uh, you know, the, the punchline is that, you know, we're all human and we all make mistakes. But... This time, it looks like the more experienced crews or a crew is the is the one that made the mistake. Yeah, I guess my question for you. Is, so, first of all, is it my imagination that we're hearing more and more of these kinds of stories? And if it's not my imagination, is it because it's happening more often now, or, or are they just getting reported more? Or yes, no, and yes. All right. Yeah. You, better, you yeah. Better, better take that apart for me. Which is which? Uh, yes, you are hearing about them more often. Uh-huh. No, they are not happening with greater frequency. Yes, they are being reported more often. Ah, okay. okay. And there's big, big efforts to try to get, you know, they, they, there's work on new signage and new hold short lines. There's work on uh, on, on on systems that'll uh, use lights to warn pilots when there's uh, when the runway is occupied. There's all this effort going into solving what is essentially what is fundamentally a human attention problem. Right. Uh, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of research in in perhaps totally unrelated, but um, in uh, computer user interface design that says that more clutter makes makes for poorer communication. Well, I, want, I wonder if having more signage and more warning lights and more stuff in the well, in the airport environment actually make the environment it, less exactly. Safe. It does, and it did. You know, coincidentally. Um, um, we I ran a story in uh, February's issue of Aviation Safety on just this topic. Uh, we had a guy paw through several years of ASRS data, the Aviation Safety Reporting System data that NASA maintains. Now, uh, I hasten to add, this is different data from the uh, the NASA study. The, the infamous that, NASA study. The infamous NASA study that uh, uh, has been off and on in the news here over the last couple right. of months. The ASRS, of course, is the, the get-out-of-jail-free card um, that, that pilots and controllers uh, use uh, to report safety problems. Uh, and as long as they report them timely and, and uh, uh, there's no real uh, violation involved here, the, I mean, no, uh, no intent to violate, uh, as long as it's an inadvertent thing, the FAA will not penalize them. Right. Um, the uh, the study I'm thinking about is is a guy who who does this kind of work. Uh, just sat down and took literally weeks and went through all of these various ASRS reports that can be categorized as runway incursions and further broke them down into you know was it a signage issue, was it a, a, a geometry issue where um, the 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 taxiway intersection. Uh, geometry is such that it's easy to make a mistake and turn, uh, not not make a full turn, make a partial turn, and end up on the wrong taxiway. For example, um, uh, clearance, uh, vague clearances, uh, controllers losing the flick, uh, pilots losing the flick on where they were, and and, and things of this sort, and basically uh, discovered. After going through all this research, that the more complicated we're making the runway and taxiway environments, uh, with all the flashing lights and, and all the hold short lines, and, and all the the clearances to to turn left on Alpha and right on Romeo, and and stop short of uh, runway three six on at Lima, uh, it's we're it's just too yeah it's too we're much. Clevering, we, you were clevering ourselves into confusion. Exactly yeah. right. And uh, there's some very interesting data out there on this, and and this is this is not going away. But the punchline here, to me, you know, you know, is everybody take a drink. I use the word punchline. Yeah. Um, is that the second uh, one of the night actually? But I need is, more whiskey. Need more whiskey. Um, that. Um, this is really, I think, the result of an ongoing um, eh, urination match between the FAA and the controllers union. Uh, yeah, where they're, you know, the controllers are saying we need more controllers, um, and the FAA is saying no, we don't. And by the way, you know, you still, you folks still don't have a contract. Go away and, and don't bother us. It's, it's. This is a situation that. Uh, um, you know, people with their ear to the ground are hearing a lot of different things out there, and uh, it's it's getting uglier and uglier, uh, at least behind the scenes. And one of these days, it's it's going to kind of bust out into the open here. Uh, this is just one manifestation of that ongoing battle. I want to save this little tangent I'm about to start on for another podcast. So. Okay. Let's just let's, you let's, give us a let's hand? just well, I, let's just say that there's some major 
apple and oranges stuff going on here mm. when i hear when i hear a, a, a spokesman for the uh, for the folks at 800 independence talk about how well we don't think that there's going to be that many retire but we you know parenthetically we were wrong last year but yeah. we'll be right this year right. yeah right okay and we've hired enough people to replace these oh good you got you know, 300 and some odd guys, 600 and some odd controllers with 25 years experience going away and some making learns that have been with the agency two years and aren't at full performance level yet. Oh, that's equitable replacement. That's like the equal or better service that we were going to get from AWAS systems that Reagan promised. Uh, if I wanted to look more like Papa Smurf, I'd still be holding my breath for that last one. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you feel strongly about yeah, that. Really? But, Tell us what you really like, think. Like, Dave. like I said, I, I, I want to save more of this rant. For right. I, time. I think I think that's a good idea, and I think okay. we, can, we can both chime in on that. Um, suffice it to say that um, the FAA has been wrong on these topics before, and there is no reason to believe that they are right this time. Yeah. Amen. So, what do you think? Do I have the courage to name this episode Urination Competition? I don't know. <laughs> well, you could go with, I'll show me yours if you'll show me mine. <laughs> Shout-outs. Shout-outs. Let's see now. Dave, you got a couple here that you, pop, that you put on the list. You oh, yeah. These? Quick and uh, dirty. Uh, uh, what are these? P- a public broadcasting system, one of our favorite television networks for all the great investigative and bird and squirrel stuff and music that they do. Uh, they're going to be airing a program. Now, the local dates may vary, but the national debut of this is February 22 called Inside Oshkosh. Mm, yeah, and uh, this was all filmed last year at EAA Air Venture. 2007 uh, in my uh, uh, limited wanderings around the field last year I crossed <laughs> paths with I crossed paths with this with this with these crews uh, they 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 committed more than a hundred hours of video mm-hmm and uh, and and out of that they whittled it down. To, I think it's going to be a ninety-minute program. Anyway, check your local listings. February, mark your calendar. February twenty-two programs called Inside Oshkosh. Yeah. Uh, and one other EAA-related shout-out. Uh, this one's a little farther down the road, but. If ever you felt like you wanted to give back a little something to the GA community, International Young Eagles Day is an ideal way to do so. Uh, that's the one day a year when all the chapters and all the Young Eagles organizations around the world try to have a one day, all on the same day, very intense flying Young Eagles, youngsters between about 8 and 17, that get them up for their first airplane ride. Uh, you can volunteer. Uh, you don't have to be an EAA member, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt their feelings if you decided to join. But uh, you can get out and fly a few youngsters, expose them to the wonders that uh, is general aviation, and uh, uh, 
pass on a little bit of what excited you to to, to uh, a younger generation so that hopefully we can start to regrow the pilot population. So that'll be June 14. You can get information on that from the EAA website. Yeah. Actually, I think there's a youngeagles.org as well. And it, Absolutely. You can go directly and, and, to that. And, and for those who are uninitiated, the reason I was chortling out loud at uh, Dave's discussion of what, how little he got around the Oshkosh site last year. Uh, for those of you uh, who don't know how hard Dave works, he is he is literally the hardest working man on the Oshkosh site that I have ever seen. Yeah. Each each year he humps for eight straight days, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's he, amazing. he's certainly one of the one of the the most highly traveled. That's for sure. Yeah. He, he's yeah. zooming around that place in his Gator and. Uh, uh, yeah, last year I put 27 hours on the Gator in 10 days. Yeah. Yep. And I and I will never cease to be jealous of the fact that you are one of the handful of people that get that very very special fluorescent vest so that you can actually get out <laughs> beyond the flight line, all right? I I'm telling you, I just one of these days I want to pull some strings and I want one of those vests for an hour so that I can just go out there and uh, talk 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 to me when we get there this okay, year. Okay, man, cuz I want to do that's just I want to get out there, you know. All, all you need is some linies. That's yeah, right. I just, just just buy drinks for the right people, and I'll be all set. Any other shout outs, uh, Jeb? You got anything? Um, nothing this week. Well, I, I'm sorry, I do have one, um, and uh, this is to uh, uh, a couple of the line guys up at uh, the Tifton, Georgia Airport. Tango Mike Alpha is, is the identifier. Um, William uh, Powers, I believe, is is uh, uh, one of the guys up there. Um, it was talking to him uh, Sunday on my way out of town and uh, uh, discover he and I have a lot in common. A, I used to have his job way back in the day. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. B, he's learning to fly at, the, at that airport just as I learned to fly at that airport. Cool. And uh, uh, we were kind of comparing notes. I, I gave him uh, my card that has uh, the website, the, the podcast website link on it. And uh, I hope he's listening. If he's not, it uh, uh, doesn't really matter because uh, uh, just, you know, keep up the, keep up the good work up there and, and keep, keep uh, getting the lessons out of the way. And the other guy up there is an old friend of mine named Art um, who uh, invariably helps me out when I come in at odd hours of the day and night and uh, uh, takes care of me and takes care of my airplane. And uh, I'm very appreciative, and I don't say it enough. And uh, just thank you, guys. It's, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, great. Well, there we go. Another one in the can. Uh, if you want to learn, well, in general, usually if you want to learn about Dave Higdon, <laughs> you can go to DaveHigdon.com. I don't know, Dave. Can you? Go, what come, that's right. If you if you Google Dave Higdon, you get that tennis guy, uh, right? If well, if you Google Dave Higdon, no, you're going to come up with three of us, and I think I'm probably God. They're multiplying. One of them. One of them's a, uh, a, a I think a theoretical physicist. Uh, the other is a that's golf writer. And the golf writer and the theoretical physicist and the aviation writer are pretty bloody competitive in terms of the number of hits that you'll get off Google. But mine will be easy. Mine will be the hairy ones. The the hairy ones? The, the hairy ones. Just look at the picture on the uncontrolled airspace uh, website. Yes. You'll see what I mean. But, of course, now I know what you're talking about. Uh, does uh, We never talk about this. Does Kit, Plane, Kit Planes must have a website, and uh, yes, I, I bet World Aircraft Sales has a website as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. at, uh, World Aircraft Sales is avbuyer.com. 
Uh-huh. Okay. And learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com, and myself at jackhodgson.com and techpopuli.net, my tech site, where I'm doing a lot of act, uh, a lot of posting these days. And visit us all and join the forum and uh, read the blog, and occasionally you'll get up-to-date show notes at uh, uncontrolledairspace.com. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for joining us in the virtual hangar this week, and we'll talk to you all again next time. Get out and commit aviation. <laughs> <laughs>